Well, good morning, Liberty family. Good to see you in the Lord's house bright and early this morning. As you saw on the bumper video, we're reminded that Liberty Baptist Church is a multi-generational church with a priority on the next generation. And as we gladly spend our lives to see the gospel transform this next generation, we want to pause and recognize that today is a special day. It is Grandparents' Day. Anybody figure that out yet, that it's Grandparents' Day nationally? You know, every day is some kind of day, but today is the designated Grandparents' Day. That began in 1978 with our president then, Jimmy Carter, as he declared the Sunday after Labor Day to be Grandparents' Day. And grandparents, uh, I have joined your tribe, and I am enjoying that part of life. And I hope that you received a welcome from our students as you walked the hallways or entered in, maybe a peppermint, or maybe if you were a lucky one, a Hershey's hug. And if not, find one on your way out. But we want to say thank you to grandparents Thank you for praying for investing in our next generation. And as I just kind of Googled Grandparents Day, I learned something. Did you know we have a designated flower for Grandparents Day? A (laughs) forget-me-not. Is there any irony in that or what? There's also an official song. You can look that up. It's kind of like the wheels on the bus go round and round. Once it gets in your head, it's going to stay there. But there is an official song. So grandparents, we love you. Liberty Baptist family is a multi-generational family. That's the way God designed his family. But we know that next generation is an important generation to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me share with you some good news. In, in the year of, uh, since Ashley Cox, our kids, uh, our kids director, came and took over that ministry, there have been 23 baptisms of kids that have professed faith in Christ. There's about seven that are pending, ongoing conversations that are happening. But in student ministry that we just prayed for, we want to continue to pray for them. In the last four weeks, five of our students have surrendered their life to Christ as Savior. And so we thank you for that investment into the life of the next generation. We need all of you doing that. So happy Grandparents Day. Keep on fighting the good fight for the gospel of Christ. I want to also introduce to you the Myers-Mallory State Missions Offering. Uh, this is our Alabama Baptist State Missions Offering, where over 3,200 churches come together one time a year and give an offering to support state missions. The name of this offering Uh, comes from two of our missionary giants that have connections with Alabama, Martha Myers and Kathleen Mallory, two lives that were well lived for the sake of the Great Commission. And if you want to know more about these women and their lives and their impact, you can go to myers-mallory.org and learn more about them. But as we go from today to next Sunday in a week of prayer, uh, stay tuned on our social media platforms. There will be daily prayer guide to pray for Alabama Baptist missions. Uh, When we give to this missions offering, we support five areas that we work together for missions in Alabama. One of them 
is the WMU ministry, our missional arm, ones that keep pushing us forward with the mission of the gospel. And so much of our support will go to WMU, disaster relief, the yellow shirt army, when we respond to tornadoes and hurricanes and floods and the like. And so we're supporting that through this offering, church planting across our state, church revitalization across our state, and other ministry partnerships. And so I want to encourage you to pray for Alabama Baptist Great Commission Ministries this week and use those prayer guides. Uh, Also, you can find it on that website, um, uh, myers-mallory.org, if you want to look at the prayer guide there on your computer uh, and see the whole guide in front of you. I want you not only to pray, but uh, seek what the Lord will have you to contribute financially, and you can give online from our website. Go to the Give tab and just select Myers Mallory and your amount or on the LBC app, you can do that. But we uh, know that the the model for doing missions is together, together in prayer, together as we go, as we sin, and together financially, so encourage you to be a part of that. And also, one more week, uh, as we have our deacon nominations before us, you can Uh, nominate online, but these forms are also still available, and so next Sunday is our deadline for you to submit any nominations for deacon service at Liberty Baptist. Are you with me? All right, take your Bible. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to wrap up chapter 1. It's taken us five sermons to get there, but we're going to wrap it up today as we look at Philippians 1, 27 through 30. As we jump into Philippians, remember a theme that, that is just resounding throughout the letter is one of joy and one of being in Christ. So we're together in Christ, together with joy. Paul in chapter 1 has offered a greeting. He's from his heart expressed a great gratitude toward these believers that are near and dear to his heart that he... Um, was able to meet on his second missionary journey as he preached the gospel and the church was birthed there in Philippi. And then he offered a prayer to them that they, uh, their love would, would grow still more and more in Christ. And then he went into just a narrative of reporting on his current status, of updating them on how he was doing in Rome. He's a prisoner. He's under house arrest. But he said, I can still rejoice because every guard that I'm chained to is hearing the gospel. And because the gospel is advancing within the imperial guard, I rejoice. And even though I have critics, they're not my competitors. If they're preaching the true gospel of Christ, they may criticize me, but if they're preaching Jesus, I can rejoice. And now in verse 27, there's a transition that takes place. Verse 27 is a theme or thesis statement that follows the rest of the chapters, and you're going to recognize it because it's one of the more familiar ones. So Philippians chapter 1 And we'll read beginning verse 27, and I want to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. As you do, I want to welcome those that are here with us in the East Venue, and welcome those that are worshiping with us online. Look at verse 27, Philippians 1. The apostle says, "...only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs." that you stand fast in one spirit, 
with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition or destruction, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also, you ready, to suffer for His sake having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Let's pray. Father, we ask by your Spirit, open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts to hear your truth and guide us in obedience and give us the courage to take those steps of obedience that we need to take to live our life for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. It is good to be in the house of the Lord together with you, and I thank you for being here. In Philippians 27 through 30, I want you to note three highlights. You may have picked up some sermon notes that were printed as you walked in, or you may have your LBC app open, and hopefully the notes are there. This is number one. As we unpack verse 27, we see Paul's application Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. After he has greeted them, after he has expressed his gratitude, after he's prayed over them, after he's given his report on his present situation and report on the uncertain future and his attitude about that, hey, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, I'm good, it's win-win anyway. Now he goes from reporting to exhorting, and verse 27 is the first imperative or command in the letter to the church at Philippi. And the command is this, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Several translations like the New King James Version that I read from and the ESV and NASB translate only as that first word of the sentence, but I really like the way the Holman Christian Standard or CSB expresses it. And the expression is just one thing. It's like the apostle when he made this this shift from reporting to exhorting, he said, and this one thing, don't miss it. This one thing, as citizens in heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. Listen to the different translations of this one command. New King James, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. ESV says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The CSB says just one thing, as citizens of heaven, that's going to make sense in a moment, Live your life worthy of the gospel. The main verb, and it's interesting, in the Greek, verse 27 through 30 is one long sentence. Now, it is a convoluted sentence, but it is one sentence. The main verb, polytuomai, is is presented, and and there's a root word in polytuomai, it's a compound word, and the root word is polis, and it's translated city. In earlier times, this word polis referred to the city-states to which inhabitants gave their allegiance. The verb carries the idea, the basic idea of being a citizen of a kingdom. It implies being a good citizen. Hang on to that. 
the Apostle Paul's writing back to the believers, the saints that are in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. Philippi was referred to by by themselves as a little Rome. If you go to Philippi, it's going to remind you of Rome, the architecture, the clothes they wear, uh, the, the etiquette that they have, their allegiance to Rome and their allegiance to Caesar. It's going to look and, and appear a whole lot like Rome. And so Paul understood that for citizens in Philippi, they treasured and valued in high esteem their citizenship as a Roman colony. And so they lived their life with allegiance to Rome and allegiance to Caesar, and they wanted to be good citizens to bring honor to Rome and honor to Caesar. Now, Paul understood that that was the heartbeat of, of Philippi because he had ministered there and he lived it. So he changes gears and he makes a spiritual application about citizenship. For those who have been born again, those who heard the gospel, turned from their sin and put their faith in Christ, he reminds them, you're not just a citizen in Philippi. In fact, this is not your home. This is a temporary place for you. You're a sojourner, an alien. You're just passing through. I want to remind you, your citizenship is from above. It's in heaven. In fact, in verse uh, 20 of chapter 3, he's going to refer to their citizenship being in heaven. You see what the apostle's doing. He's taking something that they treasured and held high, their citizenship, and he's making a spiritual application. He said, I want you to understand, you don't need to live like this world is your only home. You have been purchased with a great price. You have been born again into a new kingdom, and you have new values and a new standard, and that standard is the gospel of Christ. Therefore, as you live in Philippi, live as citizens of heaven with a different standard and a golden value of the gospel, and then live out your life in a way that is worthy of that gospel. You see what Paul did, right? And so that command is to live as citizens of the kingdom of which we belong, which is of heaven and not on earth, and to represent Christ well. Basically, Paul is saying, live life on earth with a spiritual integrity to mark you for who you really are. The gospel, in other words, should shape your life. The gospel should be on your lips. We too today must remember just this one thing. Live your life here, representing Christ well because your citizenship is of heaven and not on earth. As believers are making a statement about the gospel, we do so not just by what we say we believe, but how we live out our lives. So what Paul is calling for is for what they say they believe to be fleshed out by how they actually live, how they treat other people, how they talk, where their allegiance is. And so he said, conduct yourself in a way not to disgrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Conduct yourself in a way not to dishonor the kingdom to which you belong. And it's not Rome. And it's not in Philippi where your permanent resident will be. 
In fact, uh, we can apply this to the local church. And, and just like Paul is saying to believers in Philippi, that as you gather there in Philippi, Philippi made pride itself of being an outpost of Rome, but as the body of Christ, you're the outpost of the kingdom of God. You are little kingdoms of God in the midst of this world. And so let me break down that word again that is the primary verb. Polytuomai. It's present tense. So when Paul called them to live out their life, he called them to do it and keep on doing it. Present tense, ongoing action, to live every moment of every day as prescribed by God's Word. That's how we get our standard for living. It is plural. Not just pastors and deacons or spiritual leaders need to do this, but every single believer is called to do this. Live your life to represent Christ well in the world in which we live. And it is an imperative in the Greek, which means it's a command. So as we study God's Word, we look for commands to obey. This is one of those commands to obey. As citizens of heaven, of which you are, live your life here on earth worthy of the gospel of Christ. Obeying the Word of God is a way that we would put that. Following the character of Christ, that your life is growing up to look more like Jesus, hopefully every day. And we are called to be holy as he is holy. So Paul calls us to live as citizens of heaven while we're here on earth. In other words, we are under obligation to live in a way that is consistent with the word of God. Said that about three times, if you got it. That's our standard. Likewise, we're always being tempted like these believers were tempted to pull back from our profession of faith in Christ. We have some enemies. The pagan world around us is against the gospel advancement. The flesh within us is enticed by evil desires and the temptation of sin, and we have to battle that. And in order to live in a way that represents Christ well, we say no to sin, no to the flesh way, and yes to, to God's word and truth. But we also have an enemy that's against us, and he's opposing. So anytime we surrender our life to Christ, when we're born again and we're on mission with him, living for the sake of the gospel, there will be tension and there will be opposition, and the temptation would be, just pull back, don't make any ripples in the water. I'm just going to live my life and go along to get along. Got my ticket to heaven, I'm good. That is not the life that God has called us to live. He's called us to surrender our life and be born again, and we become new creations in Christ. Now he said, not only have I given you the grace to believe, but I've given you the power to be on mission with me. And Paul is challenging these believers who are feeling that oppression. You see, their life could be taken if they expressed allegiance to King Jesus rather than Caesar. Their culture was anti-Christian. Sound familiar? And Paul is saying, hey, you're citizens of another kingdom, and one day you will be in that kingdom. One day the gospel will be fully vindicated. Your faith will be vindicated. But until then... Buckle your seatbelt, hang on, live worthy of the gospel. Don't fall back from that. 
In other words, live with integrity. In fact, this is a phrase that Paul used many times. Ephesians 4.1, he said, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, he said, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in knowledge. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom. I think when the apostle repeats that kind of command over and over again, and anytime we see that kind of command to children of God over and over again, we need to take note because we need to hear it. And we can see the apostle raise that finger and say, just one thing, one thing that is necessary. Live as citizens of heaven. Live your life worthy of the gospel today. How are you doing living your life worthy of the gospel? To live worthy of the gospel does not mean we're seeking to earn God's grace. No, it ceases to be grace if that's the, fa- if that's the case. It does not mean that we're trying to pay God back for all the good that he's done for us. No, it, what it means is that we are a kingdom people who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and we've been empowered by God's Holy Spirit to be on mission with him, sharing the good news of that gospel that radically changed our life in eternity. And Paul calls us to be faithful to the calling. Kingdom citizens, we, we, we have a standard, and that standard is Christ. We're going to see that fleshed out in Philippians 2. Someone has said the church's greatest testimony before the world is spiritual integrity. In other words, that our lives support what our lips profess. Spiritual integrity, we live according to the standards that God's Word gives. And anytime we live below the moral standards of God's Word, anytime that we do not fear the Lord and reverence Him like we're called to do in Scripture as kingdom people, then we compromise biblical truth and we hinder the gospel impact in the world around us. And that's why Paul is saying, don't fall back. God's up to a good work. It's hard. You're being opposed. I understand, but don't do it. Jesus is worth it. The gospel is worth it. People are lost and dying and going to hell. They're worth it. Keep on keeping on by God's grace and power. Paul's application of the gospel for the saints in Philippi was a command for them to live your life worthy of the gospel. In other words, behave as a follower. One of my mom's favorite phrases, I used it this morning, one of my mom's favorite phrases was growing up, are you behaving? Well, I knew what she meant. She didn't use it on me. It was people around me that she asked that question, are you behaving? That's what Paul's doing. Just this one thing. Don't fall back from living your life worthy of the gospel. We need to ask ourselves, are we behaving like God calls us to behave? I also thought of the phrase my dad used many, many times when I was leaving the house. He says, son, remember who you are. What was he saying? Remember, you bear my name. Don't embarrass our name. Most importantly, you bear the name of Christ. Don't bring dishonor to him. Hey, church, remember, 
who you are as you go when you live out your life. Remember who you are in your marriages. Remember who you are at work. Behave when you're at school, when you're at the ball fields. Some of us might need to repent today. I had a coach one time that said, be where you're supposed to be. When you are supposed to be there, doing what you're supposed to do the way you're supposed to do it. Are we behaving? Are we remembering who we are? Are we embracing just that one thing to live our life worthy of the gospel? How we loving others, how we serving others, how we speaking to or about others, how we standing for Christ. Someone once wrote, and it's anonymous as far as I know, says, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true, just what is the gospel according to you. Just this one thing. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Number two on your notes, Paul's aspiration. You stand together not being frightened by your opponents. What did Paul desire for these believers? Well, that they live their life worthy of the gospel. But how do we do that? So he gave them some practical ways of what he really meant by how you live your life worthy of the gospel, by standing firm in the one spirit as they contend together side by side as one person for the faith of the gospel. That's what Paul fleshed out for them. So his call really is a call for them to be unified in Christ and unified in the mission of the gospel. Paul then provided two word pictures illustrating Christian unity. Represented by the phrase, stand firm in one spirit. And second, striving side by side. It's a word picture of soldiers and athletes. Soldiers fighting for the gospel and athletes contending together as they advance the gospel. As soldiers, the metaphor stand is taken from the Greek word stecho, and, and it means to stand firm and hold your ground. So it just paints the picture of a soldier on the battlefront. Remember, Roman soldiers often fought hand-to-hand combat. And a lot of times in hand-to-hand combat, they made a line. They even locked in their shields together in front of them, made a wall, and their, their uh, shoes had spikes on them. We think about cleats these days. And, and the spikes was to help them dig in so that they would not give ground. And so Paul is saying, I want you to stand firm. I want you to dig in. I don't want you to move. I don't want you to give an inch. I know you're under pressure. I know you're being intimidated. I know they're threatening to lock you up. They're threatening to beat you. They're threatening to kill you. But stand your ground because Jesus is worth it. And the God gospel mission is worth it, and people need to know. Stand your ground. We live in a world that is intimidating to us about our gospel mission. We live in a world where in corporate life, it makes it hard to speak of your religious life. 
in our public schools, it is harder to stand up for Christ. Not impossible, but harder. And so we have the world around us that is oppressing, but the, the encouragement to us as the people of God, as we go throughout the different roles and venues of our life, as we go, stand firm in one spirit. There's a lot of commentary information about one spirit. What does that mean? I believe that is in Christ, in the Holy Spirit of God at work in the believers. And so we stand firm, not in our own strength, but in the power of His might. He has given us the ability to stand together and stand firm. Remember, the believers in Philippi were being attacked. And if they did not declare Caesar as Lord, there was punishment. And that's what they were facing. And Paul says, hey, I've been there. I've done that. I experienced the beating. I was arrested there. The conflict that I went through, you saw and understand. Understand, you'll go through the same things, but stand firm. Stand firm is positive and negative. If you stand for something, then you stand against something. And so Paul is calling them to stand for God and against Satan, for truth and against the lies, for righteousness and against sin. And it's still our call today to stand for God and against Satan, right? Our power to stand is in King Jesus. We are His. He loves us. He has purchased us. He sent His Spirit to empower us. Now stand together against the conflict that comes our way. Conflict can even be in relationships. It could be uh, a family member. It, it, it could be other relationships that, that put up the walls when spiritual conversations begin to happen. Paul knew the need for these believers was to have unity within the Christian community as they sought to live out the gospel in Philippi. We're stronger together than we are individually. Thus, for them to live out their heavenly citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel meant for them to stand firm and contend for the faith of the gospel in the unity that only comes through the Holy Spirit. We are a diverse people, and we're not all alike, and we don't all think alike, and even, even in our <clears throat> minute uh, parts of our theology, we may not line up exactly alike. But the place that we find unity and that we can agree on is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have opinions and preferences and maybe some uh, tertiary theological differences, but dear church, we must have no choice. We must come together in the unity of the gospel. And that's what Paul is calling on these believers in Philippi. They're a diverse group. In every way you can imagine, he says, I want you as soldiers to stand firm, but as athletes, working, contending, laboring, or striving side by side. The Greek word is synathleo, that athleo, that is the root word there. We get our English word athlete from. Writing to Timothy, Paul used that same verb. He said, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules, 2 Timothy 2.5. Paul pictures the church as a team, and he reminds them that teamwork is what wins victories. 
Striving together in the church means functioning as a team to advance the truth of the gospel. We might not always agree on everything and the way to get to where we're saying we need to go, but what we must agree upon is the mission that God has given us centered around the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. On that, we have no ability to vary from it. Remember, you are in a battle as a child of God. There are enemies that are going to oppose the advancement of the gospel. Realize that we don't engage in this battle, though, by ourselves. You're on a team. Do you know you're part of a bigger family? When you're born again, you're born by one spirit into one body, the body of Christ. It has many members, but it's one body. It has a diversity of gifts, but we have one mission. And so teamwork is a must, working together, cooperating together for the sake of the gospel mission is a must. That's what brings us together by God's Spirit and by the mission that He has given us. Remember also, we are called to fight alongside, side by side, other believers and not against other believers. There are times for correction, there's times for rebuke, and and times for reproof. Yeah, those things, those conversations need to come as we walk in truth. But we're way too hypercritical about one another in the body of Christ. We want to vilify even inside the body of Christ those that don't line up just like us. And I want to caution you and me to be very, very careful there. We're called to fight together, not against each other, because the enemy is out there, and his name is Satan. And the lost world is opposing the advancement of the gospel, but the gospel is too important, and Jesus is worth us standing firm and us coming alongside of one another and fighting for the gospel. The picture is this, Roman soldiers digging in. You might like this, like linemen on a football team, relying on their teammates to the right, to the left, in order to stand against the enemy. Some of our teams did not do side-by-side too well last night. Those offensive linemen are to create a pocket and side-by-side close the gaps and protect the quarterback. You and I, as the people of God, the children of God, are to contend for the sake of the gospel side by side, create a pocket for that gospel mission to go forward. And the enemy wins every time we start battling each other rather than focusing on the enemy that is real. For a positive mark, he says you are to battle For the faith that comes from the gospel, just as Paul made it his ambition to advance the gospel in spite of opposition, he said, hey, you've seen me, you've heard my report, now you are to stand firm and strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. Negatively, he says, and don't be frightened in any way by your opponents in verse 28. Paul uses that term that appears only here in the New Testament in it. It paints the picture of a horse that is startled in warfare. Have you ever seen a startled horse? Skittish horse? Paul says, don't be startled by your opponents, by opposition. Expect it. 
They oppose Christ. They're going to oppose you. They oppose me in Philippi. They're going to oppose you. They arrested me. They beat me. They might arrest and beat you. Had he not appealed to Caesar, he'd still be there probably or dead. Effective ministry doesn't mean ministry that is devoid of conflict. Paul says that many had opposed him. And we too will have opposition if we are on mission with Christ. Verse 28 is kind of interesting, the second part of it. He said, this is a sign of destruction for them, but for your deliverance. I think this is is a reference to future, reference to what is coming, that as you stand firm, as you strive side by side for the sake of the gospel, you can expect opposition, but understand that opposition only reveals that you're of another kingdom, And there's coming a day that your salvation will be vindicated for your salvation. But it's also as we present the gospel and share the gospel truth and live it out, it is a reminder to unbelievers that their end is not well. Judgment is coming for their destruction. Perdition is the New King James word that it was there. And so he's talking about the end time that he, he said, this is a sign. And, and just understand what this sign means, that, that as you persevere, as you're together in the gospel mission, then it's going to be worth it one day. But right now, it's not easy. And we need one another, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to oppose the enemy and to advance the gospel mission. It's a hard work. When Christians are standing together in the face of external pressure, something is happening. There's that two-way sign of destruction and salvation, confrontation and confirmation, judgment and assurance. Paul encourages the saints with these words while those on the outside are coming at them, mocking them, torturing them. He said, I want you to know, hang on, this is from God, meaning that your faith and the gospel will be vindicated. God began the work of salvation in them. Remember verse 6, what he encouraged them with? And he will continue and complete that good work of salvation. Paul tells them that their suffering is giving evidence of God's gracious salvation, which they experience in the present and the final salvation they will one day enjoy. We need to remember, dear church, it's not easy. It's not going to get easier but we're called to stand firm in one spirit and with one mind striving side by side for the sake of the gospel, not being intimidated or afraid by the enemy or the world that is out there. Are you in? What's your level of commitment? Are you affiliated just because you're wanting to be religious? Are you committed to the point of it being comfortable where most Baptists line up, by the way? Or are you all in, no matter how hard it is? You know what Paul's calling us to be? All in. This one thing, as citizens of heaven, Today, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Number three on your notes, and we'll close. Paul's affirmation, it has been granted to you to both believe in him and to suffer for him. He just said that. It has been granted unto you not only to believe but to suffer. 
Do you like that verse? I don't. But here's what Paul is saying. It's real. Not only has God given you the grace to believe and be his child, but he's given you the grace to suffer for his glory. And here's the promise. If you are on team Jesus, and if you're all in with advancing the gospel, you will be opposed. And when you're opposed, there's going to be pressure. It's not going to be easy. There may be an amount of suffering. But remember, your calling is to a cross that if you want to follow Jesus, deny yourself, take up a cross, and then follow him. It's not to a recliner. It's not to a cushioned chair. It's not to a big flat screen TV. It's not to a plush golf course. On and on we can go. Our calling is to surrender and sacrifice and serve selflessly for the sake of Christ. That's easy preaching, hard living. But that's what Paul is reminding them of in in verse 29, that you've been given twin graces. You've been given the grace to believe, but also the grace to suffer. And so when suffering comes, let it be for God's glory. And then verse 30, Paul connects. He said, you've seen the same, having the same conflict which you saw in me. You saw what they did to me when I was in Philippi. Don't be surprised if they do it for you. Now you've heard from me. I'm in Rome and I'm experiencing some of the same stuff. Don't be surprised. Persevere because there's coming a day when our faith and the gospel will be vindicated. The gospel is good news but it's not easy news. So let's land the plane. Are you behaving? Living life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Does your life action and your life words support what you profess to be and believe? Paul said just this one thing. And there might be some here today or online or, uh, that, that have never surrendered your life to Jesus. And so all you know to live for is right here and right now. Maybe you're at that place that you realize right here and right now and everything the world has offered you and everything the world has been able to give you so far is still empty. And you're wondering, is there more? There has to be more. And I want to tell you, there is more in Jesus. And what we're required to do in order to receive this new life in Christ and this new mission that he calls us to be a part of is surrender, confessing our sin, desiring to turn from our sin and put our trust not in ourselves and what we can do, but totally in Jesus and what he's already done. He died in our place, shed his blood, was buried and rose again so that he alone can offer you forgiveness and eternal life. Will you trust him today? Then as believers... Are you really living your life worthy of the gospel? Or is there any area in our life that we're bringing dishonor to King Jesus, but not doing and being what he's called us to do and be? Any area of disobedience that that we have fallen back from? How we love, how we serve how we gather, the commitment that is there. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, will you be willing to identify that area of disobedience? Repent, turn from it, 
and surrender your life back to King Jesus and say, when I walk out that door, I want to stand firm in one spirit, in one mind with my brothers and sisters, strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. Will you step across that line of comfort and be all in? That's what Paul is calling us to do. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to identify the area that we need to respond in. Give us courage to respond. Father, thank you for your word that is truth. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is the spirit of truth who guides us in truth. Thank you, Father, you're speaking right now. There's no doubt in my mind there's someone who is seeking, desiring, wanting to know more about Jesus. Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you will draw them to that point of salvation. For we believers, Father, maybe we've been reminded this weekend that Jesus has not been king over every area of our life. Maybe we've fallen back from the way that we love. Maybe we've fallen back from how we serve our Savior. Maybe we've fallen back from contending with, side by side, along with brothers and sisters in Christ for the gospel. Maybe we need to get off the bench and get back in line and advance the gospel. Holy Spirit of God, will you make us better? Will you draw us near? Will you transform us by the renewing of our mind? Will you make us into that army of God that will leave these, these, um, this setting in just a moment and go out these doors so that wherever we go, as we go, we represent Christ well? Thank you for the calling. Thank you for the conviction. Thank you for the victory that's already in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.